welcome to another sermon podcast from Valley Forth Church. We are a church in Spokane Valley, Washington, and are dedicated to the mission of making, teaching, and sending disciples to the glory of God. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on Apple iTunes, Sermon Audio, or wherever you find your podcasts. Also, check out our YouTube channel for additional content at youtube.com slash Church. Now, here is a message from Pastor Joe Hirsch. come to the reading of the word this morning. We'll be hearing and preaching out of Hebrews 11, 20 through to 23 rather to 28. Let us hear the word of God once again. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. This is God's holy word. May its message of faith impact our hearts. Father, we thank you for this great story, a story that is a story of faith that can be lived out by every single believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Bridge the the years of time between that life and our lives as only you can do, Holy Spirit, through your inspired word. Teach us about faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Amen. Well, I suppose if you took a survey of Jewish people today or of any generation, any time, and you asked them who the greatest hero of the Jewish faith is, it would be hands down Moses. Even us Gentiles know that. Hands down, it would be Moses. The Jewish people understand him as the greatest of men in their history. He had a tremendous set of achievements in spiritual leadership. He was their deliverer. We will read about that today and next week and learn about it together from Hebrews 11 and from the book of Exodus. He led them out of the bondage of Egypt just as God had predicted he would. He was also their lawgiver. God, when he set up the moral code that Israel was to follow, that was to be the basis of how he revealed his greatness and purity to the whole world. Indeed, the law that has been followed by the Western world up until this day came from the law that was given to Moses on Mount Sinai, inscribed on tablets of stone by the finger of God. Moses delivered it all. He was the lawgiver. So as the great deliverer and the great lawgiver, he was the great leader of the nation of Israel, the greatest they've ever had. He was also a remarkable prophet. He wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, much of it having been revealed to him in person by God. But God said in the word of God in the scripture 
that the prophets that God had, had put in place, he spoke to them by visions and dreams. But he said, Moses, I have spoken to face to face. How that occurred, we don't understand. There's a mystery to how the holiness of God could have come that close to the frailty of man. But God spoke to Moses in an unusual way. He was the greatest of the prophets, greater than any other prophet in the Old Testament, greater than any other prophet until Jesus came, who Moses promised would be greater than him. And indeed that happened. A deliverer, a care, a lawgiver, a, a prophet, but also a man of deep character. This is an amazing thing, that somebody with that much leadership achievement, that much entrusted to him by God and the law, that much given to him by God in terms of a revelation that no human being had ever received before. You would think that a man with that much achievement would have a battle with humility. But God says in Numbers 12, verse 3, that Moses was more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. What a marvelous work of the Spirit in this man. He was one of the greatest people of all time. But when God chose to remember Moses in detail in the New Testament... And when God put Moses into the hall of faith that we've been studying, he didn't talk about his deliverance and law-giving ministry, his prophetic ministry, or even his character. He chose to focus on Moses as a man of faith. Four times in these verses, the faith of Moses or those who loved him, his parents, is talked about. When God chose to remember Moses, he remembered his faith. Why? Well, Hebrews 11.6, right there in your Bibles, will tell you why. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. The corollary or the reverse of that is, it is only possible to please God with faith. But if you walk in faith, you do please him. He is greatly pleased by you. And so Moses is remembered by God in the ways that pleased God the most. And I find some real hope in that. Because I'm not going to be a deliverer of a great people. I've never been charged with being a lawgiver to some nation. I'm not much of a prophet, and my character is a battle I face every day. But I do know that God has given to me and to you the ability to walk by simple faith. We're going to find in this study today that Moses showed great faith in simple moments and it transformed his life. And that's what he's remembered for. And I'm so glad because God has given me a life just like you to walk by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight, the scripture says. My righteous ones shall live by faith, God says in Hebrews 10. And so we all can live by faith and therefore we have the chance to receive the honor Moses did when we get to heaven. You don't have to have great achievements. Thank God, most of us don't. But we all can live by great faith in the hours of our lives. And that will be remembered. Hold on to that thought. It really helps you understand this passage. So let me ask you, do you want to live an impactful life? I hope you do. But what do you want to be remembered for? Achievements or faith? Give up on achievements. They don't have a lot of value in God's eyes but major on walking by faith in your life and you will have a life that is remembered in heaven in the hallway of faith yet to come. 
To live in faith is to be given challenges, however. You want to live by faith? Good news. Bad news? You're going to be given deep challenges. Faith-sized challenges. Bigger-than-your-ability challenges. Frightening-in-the-moment challenges. Unexplainable-in-the-outcome challenges. And you will need to be called, by, like Moses was, to make a decision to stand. And that's why this passage has such relevance for us. Now, the whole series is called Faith Stories because Hebrews 11 is filled with the stories of men and women of faith. For Moses, there are four different faith stories in these verses, four different moments or times in his life. And I'm going to walk through each of the four today. And as I walk through and tell you the stories, most of which I think will be familiar to you, at the end of each story, I'm going to describe the, the sense of how it can apply to your walk, to your life. So that's where we're going in the scripture. Let's dig in. Story number one is in verse 23. And it talks about faith to stand against fear. Faith to stand against fear. What was the story? Well, verse 23 talks about the parents of Moses. And it says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Obviously, this must have been an unusual event for them to hide their son. What's the backstory? Well, last time we, we ended at verse 22 in which Joseph was making a prediction to those that would follow him. The nation of Israel had been put together and, and, and birthed in Abraham 200 years before. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the sons that descended from Abraham, were known as the patriarchs. Joseph was the fourth and final patriarch. And Israel as a nation had begun to slowly grow in number, but they had wandered throughout the land of Canaan. God gave him three promises. You remember, God promised Abraham, listen, through you, I'm going to build a great nation. Number one, they'll be as numerous as, as can be imagined. Number two, I'm going to, I'm going, I'm going actually going to, number one, start a nation through you, the nation of Israel. Number two, they're going to be numerous. It's going to be a great nation. And number three, there's going to be a great Messiah who's going to come through your line and through Israel who will be the savior of the world. I'm also going to give you a land to dwell in. So three promises. You're going to be a great and numerous nation. Number two, you're going to have a land of your own, the land of Canaan that I'm going to give to you. And number three, through you is going to come the savior of the world. Those promises hadn't occurred and hadn't been, been fulfilled by the time that Moses even comes around. The nation had wandered for a while under Isaac and Jacob in, in Canaan, but they never settled in Canaan. Then they came down to Egypt because of a famine, and that's where we find them in verse 22 and 23. Joseph had led them to be provided for in the famine. Initially, things went well, and they were treated well by Egypt. But later, as their numbers increased and the leadership of Israel or Egypt changed, there rose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph, the scripture says, and Israel was put into bondage, into slavery by the rulers of Egypt. And that had gone on now between verse 22 in your Bibles in Hebrews 11 and verse 23, 400 years had passed. The nation of Israel had grown from 70 people that went with Jacob into Egypt and Joseph to, to millions, a couple of million probably. 
So God was fulfilling that part of the promise. They were becoming more numerous. But because they were becoming more numerous, they became a political threat to Egypt. The pharaohs of the time and the pharaoh of that time in verse 23 when Moses was born was known as we think, we think he was Seti I. He became threatened by how many Israelites there were in the land of, his, of Egypt. He was afraid they'd gather together and rebel against Egypt or maybe make an alliance with another king or country and defeat Egypt. And so he began to, to try and limit the growth of the population of Israel this little slave nation within his nation. The way he decided to do it was to make an edict. That's what we see at the end of verse 23. The king's edict was that every child that was male that was born would not be allowed to live. The parents were forced to take that child and throw that that boy into the Nile to be taken by the crocodiles. That's literally how it happened. Well, sadly, many Jewish parents crumbled to fear and followed that edict. But this set of parents, their names were Amram, that was the husband, and Jochebed, the wife, decided not to, fo- to follow fear. They decided to stand in faith. So here's the story as it begins to unfold. They were not afraid of the king's edict, but they decided to hide their child. Not only were they not afraid by the power of the Holy Spirit, they hid their child for another reason. It says they saw that the child was beautiful. Now, right away, you see a little humor in that because what new, new family doesn't think their child is beautiful, right? Everybody thinks the child is beautiful. What was unique about Moses? Well, Acts chapter 7 tells us that Moses, the phrase there in, in, in the Greek in Acts 7 was, he was beautiful to God. It's a very unique word. It meant there was something about Moses Not only was he amazing physically and you couldn't take your eyes off him, but there was a presence about him. There was something that made him holy and beautiful to God. And somehow they knew that this child had a special future that had to be preserved. Josephus, the ancient Jewish historian from the time of Christ, tells us that God actually appeared in a vision to Amram and Jochebed and told them that this boy would be the deliverer of Israel. Now, we don't know if that's true or not, but somehow they knew that this child had a future that had to be guarded. And so they came up with a plan. For three months, they hid him at home until he grew so much that his cries could no longer be suppressed. And they were afraid that they would be turned in by people around them. And so they knew they faced a a great ultimatum and decision. So they came up with a plan that they put into the hands of God. Isn't that what you ought to always do with your plans? put him in the hands of God. It was a desperate plan. It depended on God working in a powerful way. What did they do? They took three-month-old Moses and put him into a little basket. They coated the outside of it with tar so it could float on the Nile. They instructed Miriam, Moses' older sister, just school age at that time, to carry Moses down to the bank of the Nile and to let that little ark of safety, that little that little little basket out afloat, but to do it in a special place, to let it go out and float near where Pharaoh's daughter, 
Her name was Tia, we believe from the historical records, would come every day and she would bathe. And their hope and prayer was that somehow the little basket would come into her sight and Moses would be brought to her and that somehow in some way God would work in mercy in her heart and life so that she, with her connection to Pharaoh Seti I, would not allow Moses to be killed. That's what I'm reading in between the lines there, but it seems to have been their plan. And so sure enough, Miriam goes down with the little basket and sets it afloat and then she stands by to see what would happen. And one of the maidens of Pharaoh's daughter wades out into the water and finds the basket and and brings that basket to Pharaoh's daughter. And the Bible says that when she looked at him, something happened. Her heart melted as she saw Moses and she took Moses for her own. She adopted him on the spot. In the miracle working of God, their hope came true. And that's many times, beloved, how it is. We go out onto the water of faith and God shows up in a mighty way. The miracle wasn't done because uh, Pharaoh's daughter knew she couldn't nurse the child. And so little Miriam sidles up there on the beach and says, "Would, would, would her royal highness like me to find a woman from among the Jewish people to nurse this Jewish boy? And of course the answer was yes. And so Miriam goes back home, gets Jochebed and brings Moses' very own mother. And of course, Moses is given into her hands and Pharaoh's daughter says, take this child, nurse this child until the time when I send for him. What a mighty miracle. Jochebed actually got paid (laughs) for nursing her own beloved son. She walked home from that beach with a miracle in her arms. God is mighty, isn't he? And so he did it all. That mission of hope ended up with God's grace over it. So Moses was was adopted into the family of Pharaoh, but protected from the edict of the king. What a story. It's one of the old time, Old Testament greats, isn't it? Well, what's the sense of how this applies to you and me? Well, we learn here that Moses' parents stepped out in faith in spite of fear. I don't believe they were not afraid. I don't believe they were, had some supernatural event come over them where fear wasn't there. I believe their faith overcame their fear, as it always must be for us. They lived with a level of faith that they stepped out into an act of the will that to them was greater than their fear. It overcame their fear in a crucial moment. And that's really the story of this whole passage, faith overcoming fear in crucial moments. And that is where we can walk after these people. They were just an ordinary couple. They were nameless until we found them in the scripture record because they were the parents of someone with a unique future. But they were just like you and just like me. They were under a a terrible situation and they stepped out by faith. They obeyed God. So the principle from my life, there's two. One is I need to learn to obey God even in fear. Because he will come through. That's the message of this first verse. You need to obey God even though fear presses back against you. Even though the odds or the situation or the social situation or the fear you're facing from a government or whatever is very great. You need to learn to obey God even in fear because God will come through. He came through in this situation. They went as far as faith could take them and God did the rest. God came through. The mechanisms of man cannot stop the will of God is the lesson in this verse. Very important for us in our walk of faith in the years and season ahead. 
Here's the second thing that's kind of quaint. And that is, teach faith to your children. Because in the following verses, verses 24 to 28, we're going to see how Moses himself lived in great faith in mighty moments. Where do you think he got the faith to live out verses 24 and 28 and take his own stance? It had to been from Amram and Jacobet. The scripture seems to indicate in Exodus that he grew up in their house for several years. It was several years before Pharaoh's daughter called for Moses to be brought and taken from the home of Jochebed and raised into adulthood in the court of Egypt. So we know that Amram and Jochebed must have taught Moses that he was Jewish, that he was a child of the Most High God, and that he was a person that had promises over his life, the promise of Canaan, the promise of being part of a great people that would cover the earth, and the promise of a Savior who would come through their line. Moses was taught all the great teaching that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph had passed on in the great promises. He knew who he was before he had to go out and face the world. And we see this chapter proves it. Men and women who are parents of children, teach your children the truth about who they are in God and the truth about what it means to walk by faith. Because when you release them into the world, their moments of challenge will come and they will have something to stand on that you gave to them. Don't let the world raise your children. Don't let strangers raise your children. Speak into them the truths of faith and teach them a faith to stand against fear. What they taught and now enables us to see the rest of the story. Let's go on. The second story begins in verse 24. It's about faith to stand against the attraction of the world. Faith to stand against attraction. What's the story? Let's look at the text. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. What a mighty description of faith in Moses' life. What time does this cover? Well, verse 24 says it started when he was grown up. This is after he had been given as a young boy back to Pharaoh. He had grown up for about 20 to 30 years in Pharaoh's court. The scripture in the Old Testament seems to indicate that verse 24 talks about a time when Moses was right around 40 years old. And he was at a time of decision in his life. There must have been pressure being exerted on him because he had to refuse something, verse 24. What was going on? We think what was going on was that Pharaoh Seti I was making demands on Moses to live out the life of a son of Pharaoh, to be devoted to the kingdom of Pharaoh, to be devoted to the teachings of the Egyptians, to start taking a stand and being a leader in Egypt, to follow the gods, the many gods, 10 major gods in the pantheon of Egypt, to reject and deny the God of Israel and to start being a pagan Egyptian leader. Moses faced that and refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He disinherited himself is what it amounts to. We don't know when it happened and how, but somehow he stood up to this pressure and he said, I'm walking away from everything that I've been given. 
And I am a, am a child of the Most High God. I am a child of the God of Israel, the God of the promises. Moses must have taken a stand like that. The pressure was exerted. And somehow he had to stand for knew, who he knew he was. Again, who he had been taught he was by his parents. And he doesn't fail the test. He knew that there was a price to be paid. And he chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. This doesn't mean that Moses was living a life of sin. It meant that it was sin for him to live an easy life in a material God-rejecting world at the expense of denying his faith. It would have been sin to Moses to live an easy life of luxury at the expense of his integrity. And so he began to take a stand, and it looks like he was mistreated, and and mistreated by this secular society because he chose to stand as a man of God. And so too will we be mistreated by a secular society if we choose to stand as people of God. It goes from mistreatment to reproach, verse 26. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt. We know that this, ter- this, this must have spilled over into reproach for his very faith. Now, why is Christ in this verse? Because Christ had been taught to Moses. Christ is a phrase or a word that talks about the coming deliverer of, of the world, the anointed one. And Abraham had taught Isaac, who had taught Jacob, who had taught Joseph, who had taught all the generations for 400 years. And Jacob had taught her son Moses that there is a great Savior coming through the Jewish people. He will be a Savior from sin. And so Moses taught that and proclaimed that. And the people of Egypt hated him for it. Because then as now... The world mistreats and reproaches those who tell it about a Savior. Moses followed after the call of God, and he said, I'm part of the people through whom a great Savior will come, because we are all sinners, and we're all going to need that Savior. And pagan nations and pagan people hate anyone that talks about a Savior, because that reveals their sin. Then, as now, it's true. But Moses took that stand. He must in some way have understood that Christ, the Messiah, was coming. And he wasn't about to abandon that hope. So that's the story behind the story, as I believe it as a Bible teacher, in verses 24 to 26. Moses gave it all up for what he couldn't give up. That's so important, people. Remember to be willing to give it all up for what you can't give up. Never back down from that. Never fail that moment of decision when it comes to you and to us as a people of faith. We don't know that we will not live through a similar time. So what's the sense for us of how this applies in our lives? Two things. Always stand for the church. Always stand for what you know is true. Be ready to give up whatever you must because you can't give up what what you believe. Moses stood for the people of God. He had all the treasures of Egypt beckoning to him. He had everything to lose in terms of what we naturally want in life. 
But Moses stood for the people of God. He bet on the people of Israel and on the God of Israel because he knew that that's what he believed and that's who he was. Christians today may be called on to bet on the church and the things of faith and to lose some of the things of the world, maybe many of the things of the world. But when you place your faith in the call of God and you stand for the church of God, you never lose eternally. You never lose. I'll bet that unless, until I mention the name of the Pharaoh, Seti I, that was the Pharaoh that, was, that adopted Moses, you never knew of his name, did you? If I hadn't dusted that out of Wikipedia this week, I'm free to share some of my sources. You wouldn't have known that name. You wouldn't have known that connection. But who doesn't know the name Moses? Who doesn't know the name Israel? That pharaoh's dead and gone. I think his sarcophagus is in Cairo in a museum. That's all that's left of him. But has the people of God marched on? Oh, yes. Is Moses famous for taking his faith stand? Oh, yes. And likewise, the church of God is undefeatable, people. Don't you ever forget it. The church of God outlasts every human institution, government, nation, philosophy, or way of life. It has stretched on longer than any other human reality ever. Thousands of years. And the Bible actually tells us that when God burns up this world and makes it into a new world, the church will be there and we will go into that eternity with him. Nothing defeats the church. Live for the church. Don't deny your faith. Also, there's this understanding when we, t- when we come to this to bank on what God is going to reward you for in the future, not what you're going to lose here. It says, Moses said that I look at the reproach of Christ as greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, verse 26, for he was looking to the reward. He was looking to the fact that we'll be rewarded later. We can lose it here, but we'll be more powerfully rewarded later and it will last forever. Therefore, nothing is beyond losing for the sake of what I'm going to be gaining. And beloved, we're going to need to be a church that has a future focus like this in the times that are coming. Two verses for you, Romans 8, 18. Paul, who said, I've given up everything that I ever wanted in my human ambition for the sake of knowing Christ said, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. What we're going to receive, the reward we'll inherit, and the beauty we'll live in heaven when we stand for Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 16. So we do not lose heart, Paul wrote. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Listen to this. For this light momentary affliction that we go through, being afflicted as a people of God, like Moses went through, being afflicted as a person who stood for the people of God. He says, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Don't miss the comparison. Light to to, to, to the weight of glory, momentary to eternal, beyond all comparison, beyond all imagining, as we look not to the things that are seen that we're losing, But the things that are unseen, the things that we'll receive. That's where Moses' mindset was. And beloved, I believe we may be entering into a time when our greatest hopes are eternal and invisible. Be like Moses. 
stand against the attractions of the lost world. Here's the third story. Back to our text. Verse 27. This is the story of the faith you need to stand and wait. Faith to stand and wait. What's this all about? Verse 27 refers to the next span in Moses' life. It's the second 40 years. It's a span from age 40 to age 80 when things went wrong in the life of Moses. Well, I'll go first to the story and then give you the sense of how this connects with you. It says, by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. What's the backstory here? Well, Moses had taken action. He had renounced his his family ties to Egypt, renounced all the treasures that he could have had because he stood for the people of God. And once he took that step, he had to keep living into it. And he began to take action because he believed that there was something about his future where he was to deliver the people of Israel. That may have been what his parents taught him. It's certainly what was in his heart. So what did Moses do? He started getting aggressive. One day he saw an Egyptian slave master beating a Jewish slave. And Moses took impulsive action. And like many people, he tried to do the right thing. But when you're young, you often do it in the wrong way. He struck the Egyptian down and killed him. Not the right thing to do. But by doing that, he thought that the Jewish slaves who saw this would rally around him and that he could rise up as their deliverer, that they would know who he was and that there would be a revolt and he could lead Israel to freedom. That's my belief of what was going on. The exact opposite happened. The the slaves did not rally, rally around him. They didn't trust him. And so Moses' plan collapsed in a moment and he had to flee for his life because of his crime. He fled knowing that he was the deliverer, but this was not the time. He'd ruined the moment. And so he fled from Egypt out into a place called Midian. And he was there for the next 40 years. From age 40 to age 80, Moses was forgotten. Moses lived in Midian, started a different life with the Midian tribes people, married, had children, and was a shepherd alone on the hillsides with sheep, forgotten for 40 years. His faith, I think, was still there because it says he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He never forgot that God had a plan, but I think his faith went from from a flame as a young man down to a small little ember as an 80-year-old man who had seen his dreams dim. It was at such a low glow as an ember that when God finally arrived and spoke to him in in the wilderness, in the burning bush, Moses almost refused to go. Remember that? God appeared in the burning bush when 80-year-old Moses was humbled. (laughs) And God knew he was ready. But Moses was so humbled, he almost didn't respond. First, he said, God, they won't believe me if I go. And God had to deal with that in Exodus 3. Then he said, I've lost all my eloquence. I've lost all my wisdom. I can't speak with eloquence like they're going to need to hear. And God said, all right, I'll send Aaron with you if that'll make you happy. And then finally, Moses said in Exodus 31, 33, Lord, just send someone else. And God had to deal with that. But we know that Moses finally agreed and he stepped out and what little faith he still had. And Exodus chapter five, verse one says, and Moses went to Egypt, went back to Egypt, 
went back to face a Pharaoh that he'd grown up with, Ramses II, who was a brother of his, Egyptian-wise, in the, in the earlier court. Back to face a Pharaoh that knew that he'd committed murder. Back to face a Pharaoh that knew he represented Israel. He went back to face it all. But he went back a different person. And that's the point of what faith that's, that's able to wait does for us. The first time he tried to deliver Israel, he was full of his own qualifications, full of his own strength, full of his own confidence, and he failed miserably. The second time when God led him back, he was empty of any capability, empty of any confidence. God had to talk him back into it, and Moses went reluctantly and fearfully, but he went with enough faith to overcome his fear. Oh, the first time he was proudly impulsive, But the second time going back, he was humbly dependent on God and God alone. And that's the man that God had been waiting for. That's the servant God had been shaping in the wilderness. And that's the one who would be ready to be filled with the power of God so that God got all the glory. Wow, that's an encouraging story. What's the sense of that for us? Well, I think some of us, no, I think all of us need this journey before we're used of God. We need to go from pride and presumption and confidence and our own impulses and our own way of being great for God or doing what we think God wants us to do. We need to get that broken down and broken out of us so that when God does act, everybody will know it comes through his power through a broken vessel. I don't care what God's called you to do, to be a better husband, to be a better provider, to be someone involved in ministry. I don't know what it might be for you, but we all have to go from pride to humility, and God has to take time to do it. Maybe he's doing that in your life right now. You had a vision for what God wanted to do in your life, and you've made mistakes, and you've failed, and you feel you've been set aside. You're on the side burner, and everything else is going where God wants it to go and you're out of the race. Oh no, you're just in the time that God wants to shape you and he will use you in his own way at his own time. I want you to remember that personal failure is a doorway, not a dead end, when God Almighty is in control of your life. It often is what has to happen before what God really wants to happen emerges. In your marriage, in your working life, in your providing life, or in your ministry life. When I was first saved, my life verse was 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I was so excited, so on fire for loving Jesus and for doing ministry because ministry was laid on my heart at a very early point in my Christian life. And I had vision and dreams and wanted to get after it, and not a small sense of pride in the fact that God had chosen the right person with some gifting and some abilities. God sure was smart to choose me. (laughs) And God didn't waste much time in allowing me impulsively and through mistakes and ministry and in life to flame out, to fail. And to believe that I've been set aside for many years in Midian 
and I had my years. But God was pleased to visit me and to recall me to ministry when some of the impulsivity and the pride had been worn down and there was just enough of a shadow of humility and dependency to use in any way that he wanted. And when he recalled me, he gave me a second life verse. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly, Paul wrote, of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. I'm so grateful that all of us who have dreams for him are taken into the waiting for him. Maybe that's where you are, dear brother or sister. Maybe there are hopes yet to be realized in your life and ministry. God is not done. If you're not done with him, he ain't done with you. Take encouragement from that. I'm not sure why I got that personal in this moment. But however God wants to use that, may he do it for his glory. Well, there's one last story. Go back to our text. This is a story about faith to stand and obey. Verse 28, by faith, fourth moment of faith in the narrative, Moses kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. This takes us now into the next episode of the story. Moses has gone back to Egypt at 80 years of age, and he's now gone through this knockdown, drag out battle of power between Pharaoh and the God of Israel. The battle has raged. There have been ten conf- nine confrontations between Moses saying, God has said, let my people go. And Pharaoh saying, I will not let them go. And God bringing a miracle judgment to break Pharaoh down. Nine judgments had occurred. But still, it says at the end of the ninth plague, still Pharaoh hardened his heart. God now readies the final judgment that will finally bring Israel out of Egypt. It's a terrible judgment. The last of the 10 plagues that would secure Israel's exodus from Egypt was the destruction of all the male firstborn of both man and beast. God said to Moses, and he said, you go tell Pharaoh, you don't let my people go. The firstborn in your house will die in one night. The firstborn in every Egyptian house, whether they're a newborn or whether they're a grown man, will die. I'm going to send my death angel. But God told Moses, listen, I want you to protect my people because my people are sinners too. And I want to tell you about a special way I want you to follow He directed Moses to have every household slaughter a lamb, a spotless lamb, and to take a branch of hyssop and dip it into a bowl of the lamb's blood and to daub that blood on the side posts and the top posts of the door of their home and to eat a special meal and have a special service commemorating the death of the lamb, which, by the way, beloved, we now know to be an early symbol of of the death of the Lamb of God for us, 
whose blood comes and covers us. And God said, when the destroying angel of judgment sees the blood, he will pass over you. And he will not take your life in judgment. And so Passover was instituted. The mystery about all this is that Moses didn't understand it. The people didn't have much of a clue. It was a strange ceremony with strange requirements, with costly demands. It had never been done by them. And they're called to do this at the ninth hour. But the power of this is that Moses told them to do it, and they did do it. Do you realize if any Israelite house decided not to do this crazy thing that Moses gathered together and told them to do, that their firstborn would have been taken? God is very specific. There must be blood for me to pass over you. But every Israelite did obey Moses because Moses said, this is what we must do and we will do it. He did it by faith, even though he didn't understand it. And so he showed the faith to stand and obey when you don't understand what you're being called to do. Everything was at stake. Moses had to obey and get them to obey the incomprehensible to receive the impossible. And they did it. And the whole nation was saved. And our spiritual heritage went forward. There are times when you have to have the faith simply to stand and obey even though you don't understand. But God says to do it. And so you do. What's the sense of takeaway for us? I would simply say this. If you're walking by faith as a believer, you will soon discover that some of the riskiest and greatest moments in your life will depend on whether you obey even though you don't understand. That, that moment for you has risk because if you don't obey, you'll experience the consequences. It has reward because if you do obey, you'll experience the blessing. And these come in ways that we never really expect or understand. Perhaps you're facing a decision about whether you're going to marry someone. And you've been battling it for a while, but it seems the Lord has made clear to you that this is not the person for you. Because there is a deficit in their character, their spiritual character. They may not really know the Lord, and you've been battling against that for months. Or there may be some other dimension where you just know that you know God doesn't want this. What an hour! What a deep moment of crisis for you. It carries risk if you deny the leading of the Lord but it carries reward that you'll have to trust him for if you obey the leading of the Lord. What will you do? One of the riskiest and greatest moments of your life will depend on whether you obey, even though you don't understand or maybe don't even agree. What will you do? What will you do? Or maybe there's a clear movement of God on your life for you to change your life and leave your job and go out into ministry. Or maybe this is happening in the life of a child or grandchild of yours and you're holding back and you face a moment of risk or reward 
Because you see, you don't know how you're going to pay for school and you don't know how you're going to support your family. You're not even sure you can sell your house or, or, or move to a different part of the country in a time and a season like this. There are all kinds of question marks and very few answers. And yet you have this urging that you know that this is what God wants you to do. What will you do? See, there are not only great moments in the lives of great figures of the Bible, there are critical moments in the life of every Christian. Some of the riskiest and greatest moments of your life will depend on whether you obey even though you don't understand. Well, I close. These are just four of the many faith highlights and victories and the faith highlight reel from the career of Moses. You know, highlight reels are just the collections of what happens on a football field, the great moments. And they put them together for players. Are any of you getting this? Some of you are football fans still, right? Even though, even though there's no crowds and the, everything's weird. Yeah, this is kind of Moses' highlight reel. This is what God chose to highlight for the man's life. He made it into the hall of faith, not because of his accomplishments, but because of his ability to believe God against fear, against attraction, the ability to wait by faith, and the ability to obey when he didn't understand. That's the whole story. You say, well, that's Moses. No, no, no. Did you know that there is another hall of faith being prepared, that you're enrolled in it? You'll step into it the moment you go to heaven. There's going to be a great reward ceremony in heaven when we get there. We've all had our names entered. We all will appear before that award ceremony and we're all going to be honored. The question is, to what level do you desire to be honored? It all depends on how, just like Moses, you answer the moments of faith in your life. You say, I, I live an insignificant life. I live a vanilla bread life, a, a vanilla life, a, a white bread life. I, not, not, nothing ever happens in my life. Oh yes, you're living a life of faith and God will give you your challenges. They're your private challenges. Will you learn to stand by faith in the crucial times in your life? Why? Because the highlight camera is running and you will be able to see things you never even knew were that critical replayed for you when you stand in heaven and you'll say, Father, to you be all the glory. 